Hello, bud. How are you, sir? I am well, and yourself? I'm awesome. Uh, I'm doing great. So and how's that I'm personal gonna... opinion, or somebody tell you that? Oh, that's personal <laughs> opinion, of course. That's all that counts. <laughs> that's all that counts, Gunny. Exactly. So what I'm going to do is kind of, I'm going to introduce you, but I'm just going to tell the story about you being uh, the optometrist in Hawaii. And how... uh, OBGYN. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> An OBGYN in Hawaii and how right. you just missed, you basically just, you know, basically less than two months from delivering my son. So there you and go. Of course, you know, I'm just going to introduce that you were a Marine. <laughs> Decided the Marine oh. Corps was too tough for you. So you got out. And <laughs> yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that ain't going to happen. Of course not. Uh, but uh, did I, I think you did four years in the Marine Corps, right? Uh, I did. Okay. And, and then, uh, never sixty-five, seventy-one, never left the U.S. Absolutely. And, and that's that's my cross. Not a problem. Not no. Yeah. Not a problem whatsoever. I mean, a Marine's a Marine, and we're all Amen. we're all equal. And I've I've said that many times to many Marines when they're saying, "Well, I was an aviation guy, and I never, you know." got to do mm -hmm. this or got to do that but hey you had a mission you served it in every everything we do is in support of the infantry guy you know it's yeah, just the way it man. is you know so well it all and it all comes down to a five-letter word order yes you, you go where you're told absolutely absolutely yeah. so all right so i'm going to get it going here and then i'm going to hand it over to you and and you tell us what you want to tell us about vital and, and we'll go from there. Sounds like a plan. My guest today is Dr. Scott McGill. And I personally am very privileged to have this wonderful man on the show, not only because of what he is doing to help people understand the constitution and our Liberty that we fought for for so many years in this country, but also from a personal aspect. Dr. Scott was in the Marine Corps for four years from 65 to 71. And then he was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps, went to college, and then eventually went into Army as an officer. What makes the story unique Obviously, we're connected because we're both Marines, but we're connected in an even a better, unique way. I was also stationed in Hawaii, what we call the Pink Palace, which is the hospital, Triple Army Medical Center. And so was Dr. Scott at the time. And he was an OBGYN. And my son was born in July of 1986, just a few months after Dr. Scott had left Hawaii. So we, we, it was just shy of a couple months. Dr. Scott could have been the, the awesome dude to, to bring my son in. And of course, I would have known more about him back then. But however, we are now connected. And the way we got connected is I'm part of Convention of States, as everybody knows. And his organization is dealing with helping veterans and training veterans to teach the Constitution and preserve our liberties. And so our two organizations kind of connected together. And then that's where I became an awesome friend, a great friend with Dr. Scott. 
about just going over a little over two years, and I'm so glad to have him on the show. With that, Dr. Scott, can you give us a synopsis of your organization and what you guys do? Absolutely. And it's just, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be on with you, bud. Uh, Thank you, sir. You're, uh, you're an awesome Marine, that's for sure. I, uh, it's funny, the Marine Corps really had something to do with the, with the uh, initiation of veterans in defense of liberty. In a roundabout way, I was, uh, after I left Hawaii, you know, and it hits me, I may, if it was just a couple of months after I left, I could well have seen your wife several times. I think uh, we in, did. I, I in think the we clinic. did. But, yeah, absolutely. Well, after I left Hawaii, I was, uh, um, I was assigned to, the, uh, to uh, Fort Riley, Irwin Army Medical Center, and was the chief of OB there for several years. And when I got out, I moved back to uh, Springfield and opened a private practice, uh, for so, which can't be done anymore today. It's just impossible mm-hmm. to try to do that. But things <clears throat> right after Hillary Care, you know, came along and things started to get really rough. And we had hospitals that were buying out physicians. And it was getting close to the time to get out of, of practice. I was on a website that has, uh, at that time, had 250,000 Marines on it, and I had put something up on that site about John Murtha, and somebody fired back at me and said, John Murtha is only one of only two ex-Marines that I'm aware of, obviously referring to Lee Harvey Oswald as as the first one. Right. And uh, but he ended it up, and he said, "If this country's going to be saved, this was back in 2010. If this country's going to be saved, veterans will save it." Yes, sir. He actually said, "Marines will save it," and I, I uh, not the Marine Corps, but Marines, and um, I dwelt on that, and it, I couldn't shake it for the longest time. And after an awful lot of prayer and meditation, you know, I came to the reality that. If America is going to be saved, her veterans can save it. Um, We are the ones that uh, swore the oath to serve and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And um, that that oath, as you know and I know, never goes away. Um, And um, so ultimately... I, we launched Veterans in Defense of Liberty, which has a as um, a national 501c4 organization um, of veterans, to um, that are committed to promoting uh, conservative principles and uh, in individual liberty. Um, and our basic mission is to maintain the integrity of the United States based upon the correct moral constitutional principles. Um, and that is, uh, was kind of the beginning of a very, uh, a very long road. We are divided into eight divisions. Each division is divided into to the regimental level or the state level. And then each state is divided into the battalion level, which corresponds to the congressional district level of the state. 
as as such, we can function at at the local level. We can function at the um, uh, state level, and we can function at uh, at the federal level in in returning, like I like to say, the greatest rescue mission in his in world history, and that is the uh, rescue of America, and uh, then and returning the integrity of the republic to the, those correct moral constitutional values. Right. The, the concept is once that's done and after you and I, Gunny, march off the stage, uh, Veterans in Defense of Liberty will continue uh, assuring that we never uh, get to this point in history again. And I'm pleased to tell you, I think I, we mentioned it once before, but we are blessed to have just taken on a um, a national commander. I'm the executive director, and we've taken on a national commander now who is in charge of developing battalions. And uh, awesome. that's a West Point graduate uh, Major General Daniel York, who awesome. is just a, a fine, upstanding individual that, that understands uh, the problems that we have today. Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah. I'd like I'd like to make a point about what you just said and why I think it's important. You're talking about a major general, right? So it's it's not like you know a few people that went in the military and did some things. Yeah. You have a leader that was a major leader, you know, in the army, and now he is dedicated to this cause of getting veterans involved and becoming part of your organization. What I think is unique when you talk about the values, the, the one thing that we, even though you and I, uh, you know, it's not like we serve together like in a unit, but mm-hmm. we're all still connected. And the reason we're connected is because of the values, the ethos, the discipline, mm-hmm the integrity that we have as the military. And this is why I think what you're saying is important, how this country must be saved or regenerated by the veterans, because we have the tools that are taught in us to preserve the Constitution of the United States, which many Americans do not have. I just want to mention that. You're absolutely right. And, you know, there it, I am reminded over and over and over again uh, what, a, what a tight brotherhood the military really is. And yes. probably 80% of us, you know, because we, not many people are willing to take uh, that oath and, and really mean it. You know that we really mean that we are are dedicated to each other, and we are dedicated to freedom, and we have been willing to lay our life down for that. And but you know, between now and 1776, we have between uh, somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million veterans who have paid the last full measure of devotion for in the Absolutely. name of freedom. Absolutely. And, and we cannot allow their sacrifice to have been made in vain. That's and, correct. And, 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 and we won't. 
and we've had uh, we have some tremendous successes. Uh, I, I, I love one of them. We uh, was simple. We and you remember the Bladensburg Cross issue? I do. Uh, where, I do. where they wanted to tear down uh, the World War One. Uh, I don't know about a forty foot cross. Cross. Yep. That, with the name of the uh, World War One. Bladensburg, Virginia, I think it was Virginia, Maryland, maybe, uh, uh, that the uh, World War One veterans that did not come home, mm-hmm. and it was it was ultimately taken over by uh, eminent domain, and then it was decided that that was offensive and it needed to come down. So I went to trial, and the the, the trial court said I believe it could stand. No, it had to come down. The appellate court said, well, it could stand if they cut the arms off of it. And uh, so I went to the Supreme Court. We wrote an amicus brief on that. And the the Supreme Court's decision was that the cross could stand. But in his uh, opinion of the majority, Justice Alito essentially mirrored our amicus brief. You know, so... That's a that's a powerful statement to to be able to play at that level, and that's where we can. And 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 it strikes me, it just hit me. You know, a lot of people don't understand um, when we say that the that the oath extends forever. I mean, when we say "so help me God," that ties us a long time. But exactly, I'll, I'll bet a lot of people don't realize. You know, everybody, a lot of people have been to a veteran funeral, and the, and the and the coffin is is draped with the American flag, and then two mm-hmm. members of the of the service will lift the flag off of the coffin, shake it once, and then fold it. But the shaking of that flag is to. Uh, demonstrate that that soul is now released from his oath. Yep. And Absolutely. Uh, here's here's the, the strange part. Uh, I, I kind of wish, in a way, that your organization didn't exist and we didn't need it. And let me explain well, to you too. why. I can explain to you why. The, the active duty military is not supposed to be political in nature at all. Okay. Correct. Correct. When we were, when we're active duties and same thing, we seen how our country was changing, but because we were serving on active duty, we're limited with our ability to protest or, or do things. Okay. So that's one, one aspect of it. So now we, honorably discharged from the military and we go out in the civilian world. And a lot of us are now reattached to military organizations. Uh, and I call them the big guys, you know, like the Marine Corps league, VFW, Uh American Legion. So we're now members of quote, these organizations that in, in my mind are supposed to be disconnected from the military disconnected from the federal government disconnected from the bureaucracy however that's not the case and the reason behind that is because they have lobbyists and are part of the swamp to be able to get you know what they want across and or funding and those kind of things 
So your organization is not part of that. We're not, Vital is not attached by any means to this federalism and control of organizations. Yes, you're a 504C3 or C4, but you're not, you're not controlled by that, what I call the bureaucracy of the other quote military organizations. So thus we're glad to have you because we can now through your organization, the military people that come in, we can now do what is necessary to protest against the federal government, to teach people about the true way the government's supposed to be run, those kind of things without uh, being attached to the swamps per se. That's that's absolutely right, right on the money. Um, that uh, you know, as a um, one of our mantras, and it, it's really true. Like I, you said, we're a five hundred one c four advocacy organization, but this is we are not about party; we are about country. Absolutely, so yes. It, you know, it doesn't matter to veterans in defense of liberty if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you go astray of the Constitution, we're going to call you out on it, you know, and we'll do whatever we can to um, to remove you from office and to, uh, and that's on the local level as well as the federal level because it, it cannot be about party. It, it, it just... It's about the, the Constitution. And I had somebody tell me <clears throat> one time, they, I was talking to him about trying, he was not a veteran, trying to get, talk to him about uh, uh, helping us a little bit. And he said, well, it's, it's really great, but I don't, uh, I don't see how I can help you with veterans' issues. And I had to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? Yeah. They're all veterans' issues, yes. and what a lot of even veterans, but don't understand, is that when we swore that oath, we didn't swear an oath to a musty piece of paper stored in the archives. We swore an oath to that culture and the society that that piece of paper, that 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 new ideology, uh, gave rise to, and and that ideology became the freest, most powerful, most generous nation in the history of mankind. And that's what we're fighting to maintain because, you know, uh, the other side right now, and we are engaged in a, a very real civil war being fought on the invisible battlefield of ideas at this point. Right. Um, and, and if we, they don't understand... Uh, I'll get into a little bit of a different conversation here, but I think you'll know this is what we're fighting right now. You know, uh, a lot of people, you hear them talk about uh, socialism or communism, um, and that's absolutely false. What we're fighting on the invisible battlefield of ideas right now is something much, much worse than that. Hmm. It is about postmodernism. Right. You know, uh, uh, I guess the father of, of, of tyrannical government could be uh, uh, Karl Marx, you know, and, and Mark Levin just wrote a great book about a Marxist America. 
well, it's beyond it's beyond Marxism, and I'll go back to that in just a minute. But it is about what they are about is the total annihilation of Western culture and the extinction of Western the Western species, and that is yes. really frightening. It is. You know? It, it, uh, it absolutely is. Now, Karl Marx, I always loved to tell the story. You know where he, um, you know where he worked before he went astray and started working with uh, uh, Engels, and came, came up with the whole philosophy of Marxism. Well, he I, was from, from eighteen fifty one. To 1860, Karl Marx was a foreign reporter for the New York Tribune, which was owned by Horace Greeley. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, Greeley was paying him $5 an article, and he was starving to death and kept trying to um, um, uh, get a raise and finally ended up saying to heck with you, and he went he quit his job with uh, with this New York newspaper, and and the rest of that's history. And even uh, at one point, I remember uh, JFK wrote a piece in the paper that said, if um, if Horace Greeley had given him a little bit of a raise, uh, world history might be a whole lot different. But, <laughs> yeah, I, can, <laughs> but he, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Marxism, <coughs> excuse me, gave rise to critical theory. Yeah. And critical theory gave rise it's to critical, critical law race. theory. Yeah. But law theory. Uh, critical theory and Marxism all believed in universal values, at least believed that they existed. Well, once it, you moved it, in, go ahead. Yeah, it, it got. The, the seed was planted and it grew and it, even today from the, um, I don't know, I've got a blank with the name of the, the college or university in Germany that where this all uh, kind of started. Frankfurt, Frankfurt, that's right. Frankfurt. Uh, and what's, what's weird about it is this college is in the Western world, right? Mm -hmm. So why does it still how can it still be there how why hasn't the western world in general you know squashed the center of what's going on today it's, well, it, it blows my mind it, that's that's a really valid point and that is uh I think we could take that one step further because after uh, when World War II began, you know, there uh, a group of those uh, from Frankfurt came mm -hmm. to the United States uh, to escape the war and all found a home at Columbia University. Yep. And then after the war, all but one of them, and you probably remember his name, I can't right now, he stayed. Uh, in the United States, and um, then um, it would. And Marx had said that by 1920, the world would be in term in, in continual revolt by the workers. Yes. yes. 
and that was you know that was that was placing two groups against each other. The yeah. gentleman that stayed in the United States after you know going on and and then particularly after the anti-war years, uh, the Vietnam anti-war years, he realized that there were much better groups to put in opposition to one another than the worker, because the workers were not revolting. And yep. and that, of course, was race. And he knew that if they would use race, which they're using on us now, to try to divide us and pit one another against each other. Well, it's uh, interesting... It's, you know, before World War II, so 1920s and 1930s is when uh, the Chinese uh, communist regime, I don't remember off the top of my head what they were actually called, but the point is this. They were forming before World War II. What's interesting is this communist regime locked hands with the Chinese government at the time, which was basically not necessarily democratic, but more of a free society type government. So they locked hands to try to defeat the Japanese during World War II. Okay. Well, as soon as the war was over, what happened? The communists basically muscled in to the government. And the interesting part is this. Well, today we're being separated by race by splitting up by factions and race and all that. So if communism is what they say it is, how can you use what, you know, again, what's happening in America? How could that have happened in China when there is no race? They're all Chinese, right? Yeah. Well, they, the, the point is what they did is they separate them by class. So they exactly. put them, in, they put them in a ladder structure. The lowest person, like a farmer or a bum or whatever, right? And then they work that class structure up to bankers, to billionaires, and so forth. And that's how they got those classes working against each other. And then once you got the massive turmoil, then guess what? The government comes to do what? Rescue the country and make everything right right and everything equal. And uh, just wanted to let the audience know that's 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 what's happening from the same type of structure they're just doing it about a a, a different way but it's the same process that's that's really true but one big thing that following that that whole marxism to critical theory critical mm-hmm. law theory critical race theory uh ladder if you would uh, the big difference occurred in, uh, and we see it today tremendously, um, occurred under critical law theory, because that was the first time that that people started saying there are no universal truths, there are no universal morals. I mean, their universal truth at that point became the only universal truth is there are no universal truths, you know. Right. And then the other thing uh, is that law is never neutral. The law is only created by the oppressor to control the oppressed. And that was a real divergence from from uh, this whole litany of, of Marxism. And that's what we still see in critical uh, critical race theory. 
and if you think about it, you know, how many times you see, you know, what they're doing, um, uh, the, the, the not saying anything about the, the peaceful protesters in, in uh, uh, Oregon or, you know, marching up and down the streets, burning buildings and shooting cops. Right. Well, uh, th- from their perspective, the law is only made by the oppressor to control the oppressed, and they expect us to become the oppressed. It's kind of interesting. You, you know, when you were talking about Karl Marx had a job in America with the New York Tribune, I think you said it was. Yeah, New York Tribune. Yep. So as soon as you said that, I was thinking to myself, <clears throat> I wonder how many Karl Marx that they have in the New York Times today. Yeah. If you, th- you think about that, right? Right. Because, the, uh, you know, many, many of their columns are written in that frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And as long as there's no absolute truth, then people can absorb that. And that becomes the truth to them because they don't have yeah. a moral basis to judge it against. But when you and I... And of course, many Christians and many veterans see that and read that. You, you just go, that is just a bunch of garbage. That is just absolutely yeah. not true, you know? No, sure. So, there are universal truths. Yep, yeah, that's the infiltration. So what I'm leading to is vital is part of trying to reach our populace, trying to reach the young kids in schools, even, even other veterans to... Mm-hmm to work together, to use the Constitution, and of course, in my mind, the, the moral values that the Bible and God's Word gives us. Amen. To, to give them a foundation so that when they do read this stuff, right, right. that they can see that it's, it's not true. They can, they can understand uh, and, <clears throat> and, and, and fear and gear, gear away from looking and, and or paying attention and absorbing that. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I think I always, I always uh, uh, kind of view the, uh, the enemy, if you would, uh, you know, domestic as they are, into an inverted triangle. And with the lower end of that triangle being hardcore communist socialists that have been here since the Fabians moved in 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 1890s, I think, they will never impact them. The uh, uh, layer above them are the ideologically subverted that are so brainwashed, uh, so delusional, that they can never be, they can never be swayed, and right. but above that are the majority of of those on the left that are still work, trying to work. They go to go to work and they come home. They're trying to put food on the table and feed their children. They turn on one of the, the mainstream media's and and they end up drinking the Kool Aid, and they are reachable. They are yes. they are amenable to the truth if we can present it to them, and they become very violent warriors for for the Constitution when that happens. I've got I'll tell you a quick story. We got I, I love it the way this this came about, and this goes into the McGill theory a little bit. Um, I have an uh, an acquaintance 
that uh, during the anti-war movement during the late 60s, 70s, was staunchly standing beside Jane Fonda. And then at some point he switched, and he still spends every day trying to make up uh, for, for what he had done. And I was on, sometimes we'll talk on the phone, he'll answer my call, you know, usually. And sometimes we'll talk for two minutes or two hours, depending on on his mood at the time. But this was one of those two-hour conversations. And I asked him one time, I said, what is it that opened your eyes? And he just burned this into my memory. Uh, he said, quite honestly, I got to know all the people that were running the anti-war movement. I knew them on a first-name basis. I stayed in their homes, some of them here, some of them in Moscow. And I suddenly realized that they were all communists and we were dumb kids following leadership we didn't understand. Right. And I thought, wow, it's right on the money. But I think if you take that to its natural conclusion, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the easiest ways to stay out of that war, bud, was to, to stay in school. And one of the easier ways, arguably, to stay in school was to get a degree in education, which tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of those ideologically subverted kids did back in the 60s. And they uh, either, and I got it, my first degree was in business administration, you know, and that was another fairly easy way to stay in school. And those ideologically subverted out of those anti-war movement began to move up the organization, be it education or business. And they have been de-educating generations of Americans and so subverting them ideologically that there's no truth you can tell them, you know, that they'll ever see. There was a gentleman that escaped from um, or defected from uh, the KGB back in the 80s, I believe, to Canada. And he gave several lectures on, uh, many people have seen him, there's a lot of videos out there, on the Soviet Union's uh, plans to ideologically subvert American children. And he said, mm -hmm. we didn't have to do very much because you were doing enough of it yourself. But the point is, <clears throat> at the end of this, he said... Uh, after this 18-year period that it takes to completely uh, subvert these uh, generation, I can take these children then to Russia and show them concentration camps, and they will not believe. Mm. The only thing that will happen is that at some point they will suddenly realize the utopian society that we've promised them does not exist at which time they will revolt. But in our society, there is no room for revolt, and we will squash them like cockroaches. No. Yep. And that's, that's so true, but so frightening, you know, because we've lost generations of Americans. We have. And with this whole critical race theory coming into the schools and now our military and every level of society, as absolutely invalid as it is, um, 
it doesn't matter because children will grow up. Like uh, I think Stalin said, give me children for four years and the seeds I plant will never be uprooted. And those seeds no. are are in the government. Yes. You know, they're in the corporations. They are. And yeah. that's that's the battle that we face. That uh, is. Un- unfortunately, when you have this ideology that is in the hands of organizations that have not only power but money, billions mm-hmm. and trillions of dollars, it's a it's a tough battle. If it was it if it was just the fact of okay, can we change our education? Can we revamp the education that we're teaching the kids and 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 win this? I think that's part of it, but it, it is not the overall solution. No. We've 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 also have to reach those adults that are in these corporations and in the federal government to to try to you know open their eyes and get them to stop drinking the Kool-Aid and and have a foundation that they can do to be able to make make the determination of what the truth is and the only option is to get them to understand how the constitution was developed, why it was developed that way and get them to, to research it and, and become part a, of a bigger process than themselves and to become part of, you know, saving our country. Absolutely. That's how simple it is. You can't, there's, you can't do this one way. We have to do this <clears throat> multiple ways. Absolutely. Well, and that's because I always use the analogy, you know, we can, our, our founding fathers warned us about factions. You know, they they talked uh, incessantly about if the country ever went down, it would be because of factions. Yes. And we can, I compare that to a Medusa head, you know, mm. and we can find the snakes. We can see the snakes of Pan Planterhood, Pan Planterhood, or, or anything else, and we can lob off that snake. But we can never get to the Medusa head itself. And you know why that is? Because the Medusa head is just pure evil. Yes. That is. It is. We'll never, uh, you know, not as a country of our own, ever eliminate communism or eliminate this leftist ideology. No. It, It will never be eliminated. Because it's evil, and mm-hmm. only God can eliminate evil. That's right. But we have to fight it. We can't just stand back and and believe that there's a, there's no hope or chance. <clears throat> when we no. do that, then we're living in a bubble of our own, and and we yes, don't want to be part of society. We don't want to get involved. And you're becoming actually a detriment to the cause right. of, of saving our country when you don't participate or don't do something to, uh, to promote the constitution, to run for a Absolutely. local office, to do something, to get involved, you know, get in the quagmire, get into the battle. And when mm-hmm. enough patriots stand up and get in there, then we can quail this and, and get our country back into what it, what it really to. is. Yes, sir. That reminded me of one of the uh, terms that we have recently uh, launched into the uh, 
lexicon, if you would, and and I think it's important for your listeners to understand, is called the duality of protection principle. And what the duality of protection principle states, being based really on the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, I understand that, I really do. But I like to use the Fourteenth Amendment uh, to to jump off of because the Fourteenth Amendment A was intended to demasculate the states after the after the Civil War, but it's nice to use it to ma- remasculate the states, if you would, at this point. But it reads in part that anybody born or naturalized within the United States is a citizen of the United States and a citizen of their respective state wherein they reside. Mm-hmm. Well, what that effectively does is gives us dual citizenship. And so the duality of protection principle, and Hamilton talked about this in, in a little different term, but it, it, it's legitimately constitutional. <clears throat> Excuse me, the duality of protection principle states that the federal government has the obligation to defend American citizens against any state gone rogue. But the other side of that coin, you can see it coming, is that the states have an absolute and moral obligation to defend the citizens of that state against a federal government gone rogue. Absolutely. And and that applies to anything you want to look at, and it's up to us. We, we have got um, I know, for example, we wrote a piece on that on, uh, and as far as immigration goes, and I know that it got to Governor Abbott, and it wasn't, uh, but a couple of days later, he said Texas is going to stand up and secure the border. It hadn't really right. happened yet, but we have got to push our legislators in our states to understand it is their moral obligation to defend us. And be that with immigration, be it with the Second Amendment, be it with CRT, they have the responsibility to defend the state citizens. And if they don't do it, we need to stand up and replace them with somebody that will. And and right. that's our that's you know, veterans fully understand. Uh, and I know you'll agree with me, but that the the flip side of the coin of liberty or freedom. Is responsibility. Freedom. You hear it all the time. Freedom isn't free, but that doesn't mean we're going to leave it up to our military to secure our freedom. No. We have to stand up and become, just like you say, active in the process. And, I mean, God bless the parents that are going to the school boards right now. Yeah. Yeah. They're the people that have to do it. They understand what their responsibility is. And we all need to do that. Well, it's interesting. It is. It's interesting that we do have multiple states that are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're Mm -hmm. passing legislation every day and pushing back on anything, but they would consider, you know, the federal government going rogue. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the citizens. What, What I have a hard time grasping Maybe this is just a natural way that a person lives their lives. You've got a nice home, you got a nice family, you got a nice income, everything's good. And 
but it's it's not at your front door. It's it's not in your community, gotcha. or it's you know it's it's like you know I ain't got really got to worry about that. It's you know it's in that big city, fifty miles away uh, from. It. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is if we don't take those people that have that constitutional awareness and get them standing now, there won't be enough of them left no. to, to continue the fight because it, it's, it's, it's like a virus. It, it, it flows from mm-hmm. this, this big city mentality of, I don't have to worry about anything because the city and the state, you know, they're all taking care of me. Well, it's the same, the same ideology when you're talking about the federal government. Absolutely. Well, what happens when they take everything from you or take control of you, and then you have no say in how your life is going to be? Well, you can wait till that happens. And if you do, it's too late. Or you can yeah. do something now. You can be part of, of doing it. Give you a quick example. I went to my education school board, my uh county school board that I went to. And a friend of mine happened to be a retired army colonel, great guy. We went to the school board, the school board started off, they did a prayer, they did the Pledge of Allegiance, and they went through the school board business. And it was, it was conducted pretty good, had a lot of people there, a lot of principals and teachers and, you know, community leaders and just regular people in the community. After it was over, during that whole whole meeting, nobody said anything about critical race theory. So after the meeting was over, uh, our friend and I went up to the desk where the the board members were, you know, getting ready to to walk out and everything. And I asked them, we asked them that specific questions. Well, actually two of them. What was their view on CRT? And what is their view on this pronoun thing? You know, instead of him and her, you have all these different yeah. pronouns. And right. what I was expecting was not what I got. And I know it sounds funny, but it's because I, I, you know, I'm being pushed in that direction. You're seeing it everywhere mm-hmm. that these school boards are, are teaching this CRT. Well, this is what they had to say. They were all standing there and they had one guy speaking for them, but they were all in agreement. And he basically said that this county is not. And we'll never, as long as we're on this school board, go into that world called critical race theory. And on top of that, if a teacher is teaching in the county, in our county, if they're teaching this behind our back and we find out, which they will, this is exactly what he said, appropriate actions will be taken with that teacher. And I was going, wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, this is what it's supposed, this is how it's supposed to be. They're they're elected to take care of the county. And it just so happens the county that I live in is not, you know, that leftist world type in mentality. So, Mm -hmm. but I was actually, uh, you know, surprised at the answer. I was thinking, well, we're going to look at it. We're going to see what the impact, you know, those kind of things. Nope. Mm -hmm. It, it it will not. And, and under any circumstances come into this county. No, it's just like, that's awesome. So. Excellent. Excellent. That is awesome. Well, it's, it is a, um, a cancer that is metastasizing horrifically across the country. And, 
I would just I would give your listeners a little bit of ammunition to defend themselves with on this, you know, because right. this all the 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 sixteen nineteen project mm-hmm. uh, that claims that we have you know been a racist. That's that's our black mark, and we can never be good because of. Well, excuse me, you know, in sixteen nineteen when the uh, first British privateers arrived at uh, Jamesport, and they sold these uh, uh, black, they actually sold them into indentured servitude, not slavery. But it was a British ship that had captured these slaves, I think from a French, and that they sailed into a British port, and they sold these people, which was common across the world at that time, but they sold them to British citizens. The uh, the colonies tried to get the king to allow them to abolish slavery, and he refused it all the way through. And so slavery did exist until, uh, obviously, in, until the Civil War. But by at the uh, signing of the Constitution... That became America. Now, you cannot hold America responsible for what the British did. Correct. From the time of the the ratification of the Constitution until the end of the Civil War was, I think, 82 years. And in 82 years, we freed, uh, we, we lived up to all men are created equal, theoretically. I, I realize some didn't. But uh, uh, our the r- slavery may be a black spot on humanity, and it is. But America's uh, claim has to be the truth, and that is, we freed slavery quicker than any other country in history. You know, we did not have slaves for two hundred and forty-eight years, or whatever it is That's they correct. try to claim. And the, the, the impact did. that we made. The, the yeah. impact that we made spread across the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's not like the other way around. The world was ending slavery and then America followed. We started no. the process of ending slavery. And then That's it right. eventually infiltrated back into Britain and, and those places. That's exactly right. And uh, shoot, there were more white slaves brought over than black anyway, you know. Yep. This now, is, it, you're, it just... you're, you're talking about how, how to arm them, right? to give them the mm-hmm. tools. The 1619 project. Yes. Learn about it, read about it, see what's going on. But there's a flip side to this. And President Trump did the 1776 report and it was the president's right. advisory on the 1776 commission which came out January of 2021. You need to read that report from beginning to end because it's the truth. It's exactly what Americans need to understand, put in their heart, so that when they see this other side of the coin, it's real easy to debunk it. It's simple because we have a logical way of explaining and they have an emotional way of explaining it. And it's not an emotional issue. It's a history issue. They, they want to take their emotions to eliminate it. So the 1776 report you can get from the White House archives and or 
go to the show notes and I'll have a link where you can actually get this report and read it yourself. Excellent. Well, that is so true. They, uh, we, we have the great fortune of having truth on our side and, and truth is easy to logically explain. They yes. have, uh, you know, Plato is, is, is accredited, I think, with saying this, although he never wrote anything in his life, and he may not have said it, but he should have if he didn't. You know, that, um, um, let's see if I can get it real quickly back in my mind, that uh, ridicule is the only tool the loser has when the debate is finished. Correct. And so, you know, that's all they can do. Slander is the only tool uh, the yep. loser has. And that's that's when you try to debate them, that's what you're going to come up against. Ultimately, it's going to result in, you know, uh, name calling and, and race calling you a racist because they don't have anything else. But we, I, I like to say, Bud, uh, uh, I loved Reagan's comment during the Cold War when he said uh, the solution is, is simple. We win, they lose. Yes. And and Anytime. I would uh, I want to get this in before we run out of time altogether. I, anybody listening, any veteran out there, please go to vidolamerica.org. That's stands for Veterans in Defense of Liberty, vidolamerica.org. Uh sign up to receive our newsletters if you're a veteran, join us. If you're a law enforcement officer, we have a LEO associate membership. And if you just have a close relationship to a veteran, a husband or a wife, you can surely join us as an associate member. I had a dear, dear friend who flew the Blackbird that was really engaged with veterans in defense of liberty when we first launched this. And I said, I think we need to have a... Uh, an auxiliary membership, and he said, absolutely not. We need to have an associate membership because freedom is a family affair. And yes. so associate members have all the rights and privileges thereunto pertaining except for the vote. And so it's crucial. We have to get engaged. Uh, there, there are more of us than there are of them. And we owe it to our posterity, because if America goes down, the whole future of humanity is thrown into another thousand years of darkness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I fear for my grandchildren. That's, you know, I think about that over and over again. At least my children, to this point, have lived in freedom and liberty. But if we don't change the course of what's going on in our country and everybody, every patriot gets involved, then your grandchildren are going to be under the tyranny. Now, it may, it may not look like tyranny that you're thinking like Russia or China, but whatever it turns into, it's not going to be the America that we know. And no, and... Like I said, it's about the extinction of Western culture. Exactly. exactly. And that will not be pretty. Russia and China yes. will um, will be in control. I'm sure China's in control of it a lot now. 
and 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 I would like to ask people to, you know, um, biblically speaking, uh, courage is a commandment; it's not a suggestion. It is be of strong courage, and uh, I I always hearken back to during the Nuremberg trials that um, uh, Hermann Goring was asked how in the world. Uh, he got Germans to accept everything that was going on. And his reply was classic. He said, it's it's very easy and it has nothing to do with Nazism. It has to do with human nature. He said, you can do this as a Nazi regime, socialist, communist, monarchy, or democracy. The only thing the government needs to do to turn people into slaves only thing they need to turn people into slaves is fear. And he said, if you can find something to scare them, you can make them do anything you want to. And understand that a lot of what we've gone through this last year and a half is all about that. It's about creating fear. You know, stand up. Go to the school board meeting. Stand up and join with Veterans in Defense of Liberty become engaged because we cannot be those fearful ones that are are next in line and the oven doors open saying what happened who's going to who's going to save me you know yes. we have to stand up today the you know there's a quote that is many people give this quote to Edmund Burke but it's never really been pinned down as an exact quote that he said there it may have come from different people kennedy said it john f kennedy said it but the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing that's right that's how simple it is that's absolutely if if we do nothing evil is going to triumph and it will if it's not in your front yard which i think it is you just don't know it Mm -hmm. it will be there so well Well, dr scott um we're we're towards the end here. Is there any last comments, suggestions, advice that you can give to the listeners uh, on one how to get more involved in you know reading references, those kind of things, uh, you know, learning more about what you guys do and learning more about what we can do. Well, I would again, I would encourage everybody to go to to vidolamerica.org. We've got a lot of things that we weren't even had time to talk about. We have two programs in Veterans in Defense, one at Liberty Riders of America, which is a a veteran biker program. The other is Champions of Liberty, which is an educational program. We are are in the process of putting out a six-month, 30-minute-a-week program on Simul TV on the Constitution, how we got here all the way from Plato to today. Uh, that will all be on there. There's going to be a lot of information on our new site we have up uh, within the next week or so. Get involved with us. Uh, you can get involved. You know, you can call me uh, through that website and get hold of me uh, anytime. I'd answer any questions. So uh, awesome. the big issue is uh, pray for pray for wisdom and discernment, and get engaged and stand now while we can still save this this glorious nation amen amen well dr scott uh mcgill i can't thank you enough for for coming on the show 
I'll be glad to bring you back anytime. Uh, just let me know. And the audience should know that uh, this awesome man and I talk often and he has in, enlightened me in so many different ways of understanding what's really going on. Not, not what I thought by reading, you know, certain writings and so forth, but he is a very, very good researcher and a very good discernment type person. And I, I just I feel blessed all the time God bless you, with, his, with, with his ability to help me see differently than, you know, what, what I thought. And it just, and it gets me deeper in research and gets me deeper in understanding what we're doing. And I can't thank you enough. I hope and pray every day that you and your family and especially vital, uh, becomes, you know, just a household name Amen. and the veterans stand up and, and we're able to get our country back using the veterans that have given their, their blood, sweat, and tears, their time away from their families. It's tremendous, tremendous. The best way I can say it is, it is a tremendous impact on us that the country Amen. is not what it is. And awesome people like uh, Dr. McGill is, is, is I don't want to use this word, but I like it. But he's corralling the veterans, you know, or he's, he's, he's <laughs> putting us up. all together, rounding <laughs> us up and, and kind of getting us together and teaching us what we need to know. So if you have friends, family, veterans, it, it doesn't matter. Send them to that website, vitalamerica.org. Go there, get the information, read it. Dr. Scott's always updating. He's got great articles and a lot of the papers that are delivered to uh, government officials and so forth are on that website. So you can see what they're doing, yeah, they not just uh, just not just on, you know, with the veterans, you know, in their states, but they're impacting and, and reacting to the federal government and to the state government. And, you know, when the need arises, you know, he blows the trumpet, you know, we get the charge trumpet and off we go. Off so, we go. Well, sir, have well, a bless blessed your heart. day. It's been a real pleasure, Gunny. Yes, sir. You take care of yourself and uh, always glad to uh, talk with you and be, be more than happy to bring you back. We'll do it again. God bless. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye now. Bye.